A brazen daytime shooting leaving one man dead and police on the hunt for the killer. Good evening. We begin with a developing story from the city's east end and another example of gun violence on our streets. Officers are patrolling through the Danforth Avenue neighborhood looking for clues left behind after an afternoon homicide. Our Austin Delaney is in the area tonight and joins us live with the latest. What have you learned, Austin? Well, it happened in broad daylight on the busy Danforth. Police did not know right now where there was a targeted shooting, but witnesses tell me they heard five or six shots ring out. An orange tarp covers the body of a man lying dead on the sidewalk outside a small grocery store on the south side of the Danforth, east of Donlands. The shooting happened around 3.15 this afternoon. Witnesses say they heard gunshots. Like a Glock. Pop, 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 pop. That's it. You hear any screaming? No. Police say they received a 911 call that shots had been fired. When the officers arrived in the area of Danforth and Byron, they uh, found a male who was non-responsive. They attempted life-saving measures, but unfortunately he succumbed to his injuries and he was pronounced on scene. What led to the deadly confrontation is not clear, but police believe there was more than one person involved. There were a couple of males seen fleeing the area and are believed to have gotten into a vehicle. That vehicle is a SUV style, either gray or silver in color. I don't have any information right now at this time how many people were actually involved in the shooting. The SUV fled southbound. It happened in broad daylight, just as schools were about to empty out for the weekend. It was a busy time of day. Uh, I was uh, there's a lot of people out and about today. There was four schools that ended up going into a hold and secure, which has since been lifted. The victim, a man in his 30s. Police tonight emphasizing just how busy it was on the Danforth around 3.15, so they're asking for any witnesses to come forward, uh, give them whatever information they have. They're also asking for businesses to take a look at their security cameras to see if there's any shots of that SUV getting away. Reporting live, I'm Austin Delaney. Thank you, Austin. Now to a CTV News exclusive and a new signal of the extreme strains facing our health system. A GTA woman says she knows firsthand just how bad the problem is after a critical surgery was canceled just moments before it was supposed to begin. Our Sean Lee Thong is along Hospital Road tonight with this story. Sean. Well, Nathan and Michelle, imagine waiting two years for surgery and then the day finally comes. You've entered the hospital, you're ready to go in only to find out it's been canceled. That's exactly what this woman had happened to her. The hospital bracelets are still on her wrist. Sitting at home now two days after, Jessica Beck was supposed to have life-changing surgery. It was actually unbelievable. I couldn't believe that it happened to me and that it was happening to other people. Beck was at Toronto Western Hospital moments away from having a spinal fusion to correct chronic pain brought on by a combination of scoliosis and spondylolisthesis when she was told surgery was cancelled. It's not even cancelling the day before. It's cancelling the day of. Like, I just think that it's inhumane. The reason given for the cancellation? There's just not enough nurses on the floor to help you in recovery because you need to stay overnight. And um, we're very sorry. Basically, you have to, you have to go home. The 37-year-old mother of three has to perform most tasks sitting down due to pain. She had been waiting for two years for this operation. Her family had made plans to help with a three to six month recovery time, securing a walker, and a shower stool. She expected to be healthy by summer to play with her kids, but all that is now on hold. It's depressing. I mean, I, I need the surgery to be able to return to the normal things that I do in my life, to take care of my family. You know, all of our 
um, empathy and, and compassion sits with this patient and their family. Dr. Fayez Qureshi from the University Health Network says the system is experiencing a confluence of problems. Health human resource is certainly one of them, but also physical bed capacity by a rising number of patients that have come in through the emergency department. While the hospital says that same-day cancellations are rare, Jessica Beck says there's evidence that her incident is far from isolated. Because I heard the nurse tell the lady next to me that this was the third day in a row that surgeries of this kind had to be canceled. Beck says that surgery may be moved to December, but she was also told they can't start to reschedule until capacity issues are resolved. She says the staff at Toronto Western were very apologetic. And they're just doing their best, and it's just a broken system. I don't know how to say that. Something needs to be done right away. Beck says some of the people who were around her at the time, the woman in the bed next to her, sounded like she may have been elderly. She said she knew someone who had traveled from Sault Ste. Marie, made plans to stay in a hotel for a week, only to have the surgery canceled. Reporting live, I'm Sean Lethung. Michelle, send it back to you. Thank you, Sean. Still ahead, how the hospital staffing crisis in Ontario created a problem for one family sick and stranded overseas. We'll have that for you a little later this hour. Downtown drivers, start your engines and prepare for a lot of idling. New construction along Young will have roads in the core resembling more of a parking lot this weekend. Our Mike Walker is once again braving the congestion tonight. And he joins us live with more on the new construction. Mike. Well, Michelle and Nathan, you can probably hear and definitely see the demolition of a Metrolinx bridge behind me here at Young and Front. Drivers we've been speaking, let's say it's getting harder to drive around the downtown. The city says these projects are necessary. Another major construction project starting today, leading to more road closures and detours in the core. Throwing me off because I'm trying to get on the parkway and it's like, after a long day at work, you don't, you don't want that. It's the last thing you want. The demolition of a Metrolinx bridge shutting down Young Street in both directions between Lakeshore and Front. The westbound Gardner off-ramp to Young also closed. The city says those closures will be in effect for the next six weekends. I've been sitting here for four lights. This is going to be the fifth light. Drivers struggling to navigate detours. That's adding to the gridlock on main arterial roads. Jarvis has only got one lane. Young's closed here at Front. So how are you getting around the Esplanade area? Other ongoing closures nearby include Cherry and Parliament at Lakeshore. The limited access frustrating people who live in the area. We drove 1.1 kilometers from King 11 to Queens, Queens Key and Young, and it took us an hour and 15 minutes with my husband for um, one month appointment with our newborn. This latest construction closure comes just days after the city started major infrastructure upgrades along Adelaide that will take up until the spring to complete. It doesn't seem like they have any coordination, does it? They just keep closing streets and then making things more difficult for everybody. Who wants to come downtown when you can't move around? I guess some things have to move on. Construction has to happen, but it has been challenging. The city's chief engineer says many of these projects are planned up to five years in advance. We take everything into consideration. The bottom line is that this infrastructure needs to be upgraded and renewed. As you noted, a 149-year-old water main needs to be replaced so that we minimize service disruptions down, down the road. The road work also impacting cyclists who have depended on bike lanes along Adelaide, now forced to share a single lane with vehicles. There isn't much in the way of room. I'm 
this close to hitting other cars. The city urging people who plan on traveling into the downtown to be patient. Avail yourself of the number of travel apps that, that are there and where possible take public transit. But Metrolinx is warning construction will also lead to GO train service disruption on the Lakeshore East and West lines as well as the Barry line this weekend. The TTC says there is no scheduled service disruptions. Now, the city says in many cases, crews are working extended hours late into the evening. As for the demolition here at Young and Front, again, it's happening over the next six consecutive weekends. Young Street expected to reopen 11 p.m. Sunday night. Reporting live, I'm Mike Walker. Nathan, back to you. All right. Thanks, Mike. And if construction doesn't make you want to park your car for a while, gas prices will. Drivers should expect to wake up to another four-cent hike tomorrow. And that would mark a 20 cent a liter jump at the pumps in four days. That would bring the average price to about a buck 81 a liter, its highest in about three months. Something almost as scary as the spike in gas prices tonight, but a lot more fun. This Thornhill home decked out for the big day on Monday, Halloween. Ooh, Lindsay Morrison is on location tonight. Nothing too spooky on the weather front for now, Lindsay. Nothing too spooky yet, Michelle, but we do have a bit of a tricky Halloween forecast with a treat. I'll explain what I mean in just a moment, but hey, we are here live at Thornhill Woods Haunted House, and this is a spooky scene here. Take a look, for example. It's not even nightfall, and already a crowd is gathering. Already I'm hearing screams coming from the haunted house around the corner. It is going to be an entertaining hour, and we're going to take you through it. This is all benefiting a very good cause as well. Let's talk a little bit about your weather, though. It's Halloween weekend, and it's off to a little bit of a chilly start. On the satellite and radar, we don't have too much to show you right now. It's uh, fairly clear around the region but it's the clear sky that's going to contribute to the risk of frost for tonight. These temperatures are going to start to take a tumble. We could fall all the way to the freezing mark here in the city of Toronto. So once again, we find ourselves under a frost advisory that includes the West GTA as well as areas in Niagara. Again, we're live here in Thornhill. It's the Thornhill Woods Haunted House. Lots to see, lots to do, and a few people to interview, I think. I think most of them are alive anyway. Nathan and Michelle, for now, I'm going to send it back inside to you. Ooh, we can't wait for more. Thank you, Lindsay. To some more news now, Ontario's police watchdog is continuing its investigation into the death of a North York man two weeks ago. He fell to his death after an interaction with police. Tonight, more information is emerging about what family members are alleging happened as they demand answers. CTV's Beth McDonnell joins us once again tonight with the story. Beth. Nathan, Teresh Bobby Ramroop's family is heartbroken after he fell from the top floor of his apartment building. The family says his death could have been prevented. Holding a battering ram, a tool used to breach doors, a member of the Toronto Police Emergency Task Force speaks with two tactical paramedics in the lobby. The timestamps indicate just before 7 at night on October 13th, less than 10 minutes before the time police say 32-year-old Teresh Bobby Ramroop fell to his death from his 16th floor bedroom window, the top floor. Ramroop's sister says this is their mother after learning he died, and this is his bedroom door the next morning. Bobby was unarmed, had no drugs on him. Bobby was still alive when my mom came from work. There was presently eight family members on site. To family members, it was clear earlier that afternoon Ram Roop needed help. 
He lived with depression and appeared in distress through messages writing at 1.30, Mom, I think someone is trying to burn down the house. And at 1.40, Dad, something weird is going on. I think someone is trying to break in. Ramroop also tried calling a cousin. The family says Ramroop's brother, who was home at the time, called his mother. When she and others arrived, they say they were put in the superintendent's office by police. We begged them for six hours to speak to our son during the interaction they were having with Bobby. They refused to let us see or speak to our son for six hours. Toronto police say shortly after 4.30, officers responded to calls from people seeing furniture and an air conditioner thrown from a top floor apartment. One hour later, negotiations began. They say a psychiatrist was called but didn't make it in time. The mobile crisis intervention teams, which partners police with a mental health nurse, was not deemed appropriate. The male had already barricaded himself inside a bedroom when the officers entered the apartment, said a police statement. Barricading automatically requires a higher level of response according to procedure given the elevated risk of harm and therefore this was not an incident where the MCIT would be deployed to attend the scene. But some GTA healthcare providers say there are alternatives including sending mental health professionals to calls not in uniform and without police officers present. So I think that the best uh, way of uh, responding to these kind of emergency situations will be that the mental health professionals respond by themselves. And if that is not available, then police should take a mental health professionals along with them to make a response. Ramroop's family doesn't understand why the psychiatrist didn't make it in time while members were able to make the trip from Brampton before he died. People around the building that day tell CTV News as many as 30 officers responded, including on the roof. The Special Investigations Unit hasn't said how many attended, but do say officers were at the ground level to hold the scene, and three officers tried to negotiate from an adjoining balcony. Bobby was trying to escape from the SWAT team because he was fear of them. We will never understand why these weapons, tactics or officers were necessary. The family says mental health professionals should be sent to disturbance calls. They say Ramroop loved his job and his family and did not deserve to die. Ramroop's family is holding a vigil here on November 1st. That would have been his 33rd birthday. His family says he was talking about his birthday a lot and looking forward to it. Reporting live, I'm Beth Magdanell. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Beth. A celebration of life was held for Toronto City Councillor Cynthia Lai. The services at the York Cemetery and Funeral Centre were live streamed earlier today. Lai passed away a week ago today, just before the municipal election. She was first elected in Ward 23 Scarborough North in 2018 and was a member of the city's Budget Committee, Economic and Community Development Committee and the TTC Board. Lai was 68 years old. A 46-year-old man in Vaughan's been charged after a fatal dump truck crash earlier this month. A man and a woman in their 20s were killed when the truck collided with a car in Markham. It happened on October 12th. A third person in the car, a 52-year-old woman, remains in critical condition. The driver of the dump truck was not hurt. York Regional Police have charged Anthony Baglieri with two counts of dangerous driving causing death and one count of dangerous driving causing bodily harm. The husband of U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is recovering in hospital tonight after being beaten by an intruder at the couple's San Francisco home. 
our officers observed Mr. Pelosi and the suspect both holding a hammer. The suspect pulled the hammer away from Mr. Pelosi and violently assaulted him with it. Our officers immediately tackled the suspect, disarmed him, took him into custody, requested emergency backup, and rendered medical aid. The attack happened around 2.30 this morning local time. Paul Pelosi confronted a man who reportedly was shouting, where is Nancy, where is Nancy? The 82-year-old underwent successful surgery to repair a skull fracture and serious injuries to his arm and hands. A full recovery is expected. Police say the motive for the attack remains unclear. 42-year-old David DePappi is being charged with attempted homicide, assault with a deadly weapon, among other offenses. Canadians have a new way to support Ukraine as it continues to fight Russian invaders. Canadians will now be able to go to major banks to purchase their sovereignty bonds, which will mature after five years with interest. It'll be a lot like the Government of Canada bonds people are familiar with. These funds will go to support the government of Ukraine so they can continue to support the Ukrainian people. Justin Trudeau was at the national gathering of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress in Winnipeg today. The money raised from the bonds will be channeled through the International Monetary Fund. The Prime Minister also announced sanctions against 35 more Russians. The man in charge of policing during the early days of last winter's convoy protest thought it would only last three days. Week two of the inquiry into the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act wrapped up today with testimony from Ottawa's former police chief. CTV's Kevin Gallagher reports. So far, Peter Slowly has faced the most criticism for mishandling the massive anti-mandate protest in Ottawa last winter. There is no doubt that we could have done some things better. But the former Ottawa police chief fired back at claims he ignored Ontario Provincial Police warnings that protesters would stay well past the first weekend, even recommending that the federal intelligence process needs an overhaul. To this day, I have a question. Why wasn't I getting intelligence threat risk assessments on a regular basis of the quality that I got from the OPP from our federal partners? Still, slowly had information that thousands of large vehicles were traveling to Ottawa from multiple directions. So he should have known better. He should have acted differently. He should have read more and he should have ensured they're better prepared for when it arrived to stop it than they were. Slowly became Ottawa's first black police chief in 2019. He testified that he faced resistance trying to drive culture change in the force. Internally, there was a culture um, that was less welcoming, less inclusive, less diverse, less equitable, and that had impacts on things like workplace harassment, uh, member morale. During the convoy, he says his top officers made personnel decisions without consulting him and witnessed disorganization and dissent in his ranks. Though today, he started to tear up when he was asked about the conditions his officers faced. They were doing their very best under inhuman circumstances, like the city was, like the community was. It was too cold and it was too much. But they did their very best. Multiple witnesses have questioned why Slowly didn't block highway exits and bridges to prevent trucks from paralyzing downtown Ottawa. The former chief says he received legal advice warning against that, and he simply didn't have enough officers. Kevin Gallagher, CTV News, Ottawa. Canada is facing an impending economic slowdown and a possible recession, so next week's fall fiscal update will be of particular interest. 
As we emerge from the pandemic, we are running a tight fiscal ship. We have the lowest deficit and debt to GDP ratio in the G7, and we committed to saving $9 billion from government spending in the 2022 budget. Finance Minister Christian Freeland will deliver the economic statement in the House of Commons on Thursday. She has already said not to expect big money to help Canadians cope with inflation, indicating that would just make the situation worse. We'll see them here in Canada eventually. The first coin bearing the portrait of King Charles has been produced by the UK's Royal Mint. The 50 pence coin will go into circulation before the end of the year. Unlike the coin depicting his mother, Queen Elizabeth II, Charles is not wearing a crown. That follows in the traditions of his grandfather, King George VI. Coming up, a rock and roll original, Jerry Lee Lewis, a pioneering but controversial musical icon, has died at 87. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, are you planning to do some maintenance on your car before winter arrives? If so, have you ever given the ventilation system a second thought? There is one way to make your heating and air conditioning vents smell like new. I love that story. That's just ahead. We are getting into the spirit of Halloween here at Thornhill Woods Haunted House. Look at this setup. It is absolutely spectacular. And if you're hoping to check out a haunted house yourself this weekend, here's a look at what you can expect weather-wise tonight at a glance. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit chilly, but that just adds to the spooky feeling out there, doesn't it? Tomorrow, your pumpkin patch forecast is looking great. Lots of sunshine. We, of course, will have your Halloween forecast coming up. And we will take a look at the warm weather you can expect for early November. That's ahead here on CTV News. And stay with us. We've got a full night of great shows for you right here on CTV as well. As the colder weather arrives, you may be doing some maintenance on your vehicle, perhaps even getting your winter tires out of storage. But there's one part of your vehicle you may have never have given much thought, how you freshen up your car's ventilation system. Pat Foran's got some advice on Consumer Alert. Pat. Nathan and Michelle, when a car gets older, sometimes the air coming out of the vents doesn't smell very good. In fact, it can have a musty odor. But according to Consumer Reports, there's an easy way to kill the mold and bacteria that causes that smell. Does the air coming out of your vents have a musty smell? Unless you left your teenager's hockey equipment in the car, Consumer Reports says you probably don't have to sniff around to find the culprits. What you're probably smelling is condensation from the evaporator inside your heating and cooling system. Basically, water collects in that area, and if it sits for long enough, it creates that musty smell. Most of the water is meant to exit your car through the evaporator drain under the vehicle. You've probably seen a small puddle of water by your car. But sometimes that water collects in the evaporator, and if it sits in there for a while, bacteria and mold can form, causing that smell. The good news, the solution likely won't require a trip to the mechanic. It's an easy fix you can do yourself. First, turn the fan to the low setting and open up the windows. Get a disinfectant like Lysol and spray it into the climate system's air intake, also known as the plenum. The plenum can be found at the base of your windshield where the wipers are located. This is where the air comes from that goes into your heating and cooling system. With the engine on and interior fan running, spray plenty of cleaner on both sides of the plenum intake vent and the fan will pull it into the system where it will kill the bacteria and help get rid of that musty odor. 
Keep the windows open to help air out the car. If you have a cabin filter, remove that before you spray the disinfectant to help it move through the system. It might be a good time to change it too because a dirty filter can prevent optimal airflow and changing it yourself can save you money and time. And another source for smells is your sunroof. There are small drainage holes on the sides that can get plugged. If they're clogged up, water can seep into the roof's liner or even drip onto your car seats. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. All right, to the forecast, Lindsay, once again, in the Halloween spirit. I love the Halloween spirit. This is just a great weekend to do anything Halloween, maybe check out a house or even go to a pumpkin patch. We just want to see more of this house. I can't believe that's just sitting there in, in a neighborhood in Thornhill. Oh, absolutely, Michelle and Nathan. This is uh, this isn't just sitting here in Thornhill. This is the main attraction, I think, right now in Thornhill. And I want to introduce you to Chris Ainsworth. You're responsible for all of this. You and your family have been putting this together for 18 years. Yes, we have. Okay, what's the motivation for this? It all started with both my sons being in Sick Kids Hospital, and we wanted to give back. That's how it all started. And you've been doing that. I understand that you've given back thousands of dollars to Sick Kids Hospital. Yeah, year to date, we're at 150,000, and we're hoping to raise another 20 this year. Absolutely amazing. So the idea is people can come down and enjoy everything you've set up for free, but you offer something here that people can donate to and then enjoy. Tell us what's going on behind us here. So we have a creepy walk-through haunted house. We ask for a $5 admission fee, which all proceeds go to Sick Kids Foundation. And you get to walk through a nightmarish walk-through haunt with creepy actors inside, and their job is to scare you. And, you know, I've heard a few screams since I've been here. I think uh, the early reviews, because this is just starting tonight, are very positive. This is a, a pretty spooky way to spend the weekend. You're going to be open all weekend. Yeah, we're open right till uh, Halloween night, 6 o'clock till 10 every night. Congratulations on what you've accomplished here. The sun is continuing to set, so I think things are going to get even spookier out here, and we'll get a few more shots of this fantastic house. And uh, Nathan and Michelle, it's scary out here, that's for sure. Let's get to a not-so-scary forecast, though. We'll begin by letting you know that weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. We had a lovely day today. We had lots of sunshine out there. Temperatures were pretty comfortable overall during the daytime hours, but tonight we are going to cool down a little bit. Zero is the forecast low. The norm for this time of year is four. A reminder that there is a frost advisory in effect. This includes the West GTA, Toronto and into the Niagara area. So just a heads up on that. Tomorrow morning, not only might there be frost, there might also be a little bit of fog. So just a heads up if you do have to be out on the roads early on. And if you are an early riser, you might also consider a couple of extra layers just to keep yourself warm. But by the afternoon, won't need it as much. 14 degrees is the forecast daytime high. That's slightly warmer than normal. And we've got plenty of sunshine in store as well. Another beautiful blue sky day. We have high pressure to thank for that. It's going to hold for a couple of days. Overall, we're looking at a pretty dry forecast with one exception. Unfortunately, it is Monday. We'll get to that in just a moment. Here's the forecast radar setting it in motion. You'll see that, yeah, not a whole lot to show you for tomorrow. Nice and clear. And then into the day on Sunday, there will gradually be a bit of an increase in cloud cover. And then it's overnight and into the nighttime hours that we see a few showers starting to move in. That happens Monday morning. We're keeping an eye on things to see how it could impact the trick-or-treating time. But what you might want to do at this point is uh, still plan to trick-or-treat. Just maybe incorporate an umbrella or something waterproof to go along with your costume. 
Again, we are live here in Thornhill. This is the Thornhill Woods Haunted House. Nathan, Michelle, things are getting a little bit scary out here. I'm not sure who let Grandpa out of the haunted house, but I think it's time for him to head back inside. Do you agree? <laughs> Nathan and Michelle, back to you. It's a scary group, is it not? Those costumes are fabulous. Also tonight, he was a pioneer, a powerhouse in rock and roll, who had a whole lot of ups and downs. The life and legacy of Jerry Lee Lewis. Online, on every platform. Escape tragedy by mere moments. CTV News Toronto. A story you'll only see here. Winner of the Canadian Screen Award for Best Local Newscast. We have developing details. Watch weeknights at 6. I changed my mind. This love is fun. A goodness gracious great ball to buy a His talent is legendary and his influence on the industry is unquestionable. Tonight, the world is mourning one of rock and roll's pioneers, Jerry Lee Lewis. The flamboyant musician was known for his feverish onstage performances. Behind the scenes, his life and legacy followed a similar frenetic and troubled patterns. Rada Allman joins us now with more Zorada. Michelle and Nathan, one of the grandfathers of rock and roll, known as the killer, Jerry Lee Lewis, made headlines perhaps as much for his turbulent behind-the-scenes life as his successful six-decade-long career. His publicist says the 87-year-old had been ill in recent years and had been living a quiet life at home in northern Mississippi. You broke my the last surviving great pioneer of rock and roll, Jerry Lee Lewis, is dead. A representative confirming he died at his Memphis, Mississippi home this morning. When you talk about the 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 the, the fathers or the godfathers of rock and roll, you know Elvis and Little Richard and Fat Domino and Jerry Lee Lewis, and he was the last one. Lewis began his career in the 50s, signing a record deal at 21 and making a name for himself with hits like Whole Lot of Shakin' Going On and Great Balls of Fire. His onstage performances full of electric energy and powerhouse keyboards. One of the, the growliest vocalists of all time. He was unpredictable. He was a showman. And he was absolutely an original and there will never be anybody like Jerry Lee Lewis. He was married seven times, his third marriage bringing his career to a screeching halt when it became known that he had married his 13-year-old cousin, Myra Brown. Jerry decided that I was going to marry him, and he took a girl that was 22 years old to the courthouse in Mississippi, and she posed as Myra Brown, and she signed the marriage license. While he would eventually make a comeback both in the country and rock and roll genres, his life would be plagued with drug and alcohol abuse and illness. In 1986, Lewis was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and in 2005, he won a Lifetime Achievement Grammy. I love good music, and I love good uh, ballad music, country style, my country style. I, I wouldn't know how to do anybody else. Jerry Lee Lewis was 87. And Jerry Lee Lewis is survived by his wife Judith, five adult children and his grandchildren. His publicist says more information about his funeral will be announced in the coming days. I'm Zoraida Allman. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Zoraida. A marriage that brought together two superstars from the gridiron and the catwalk is over. Tom Brady and Giselle Bündchen have finalized their divorce. 
The seven-time Super Bowl champ says we arrived at this decision to end our marriage after much consideration. Doing so is, of course, painful and difficult, like it is for many people who go through the same thing every day around the world. Bunchen says they finalized the divorce amicably after 13 years. The couple have a son and daughter together. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. After the break, why getting sick abroad could leave you stranded. A CTV News investigation reveals the far-reaching impact of the nursing staffing crisis here at home. It was a busy time of day. Uh, uh, There's a lot of people out and about today. There was four schools that ended up going into a hold and secure, which has since been lifted. Updating our top stories, a man was fatally shot outside a grocery store on the Danforth today. It's not clear how many people were involved in the shooting. Police say two males were seen fleeing the area in an SUV. Throw me off because I'm trying to get on the parkway and it's like, after a long day at work, you don't, you don't want that. No, you don't. A bridge demolition is shutting down Young Street in both directions between Lakeshore and Front for the next six weekends. The westbound Gardner off-ramp to Young will also close in this latest roadwork snarling downtown streets. It was actually unbelievable. I couldn't believe that it happened to me and that it was happening to other people. Spinal fusion surgery to correct the GTA woman's chronic back pain was canceled this week at the last minute at Toronto Western Hospital. She was told there were not enough nurses to help in her overnight recovery. To a CTV News investigation now and a warning from a Toronto man whose elderly mother was stranded overseas after a stroke. The problem compounded by an overburdened healthcare system here in Ontario. Our John Woodward reports on their story and the extreme measures they had to go through to come home. A holiday in Malta was the trip of a lifetime for 88-year-old Carmen Pace. But in September, a medical emergency landed her in the hospital. Unfortunately, my mom had a stroke. Her son Mike Pace says once she was stabilized there, he contacted their travel insurance to bring her home to Toronto. I have been uh, notified by the insurance company saying that um, beds in Toronto, um, even in Mississauga, are, are at capacity. No beds meant no way home. It is stressful. Uh, it has created a lot of anxiety. The pace is caught up in a health care crisis that has closed hospital wards and ERs across the country. One major cause, a nurse shortage created by the pandemic. Data shows nurse vacancy rates are up and twice as many nurses are leaving to work in the United States compared to five years ago. I have been in healthcare for 40 years. I have never seen it that bad ever. Nobody has. Emails show as of October 13th, Alliance assistants said they were still working with St. Joseph's Hospital to get an accepting doctor and secure a bed. Then the company offered to fly Carmen Pace back anyway and drop her at the St. Joseph's Hospital emergency room. Leaving a transfer patient at an emergency room is a process colloquially known as dumping. The insurance industry says it's very rare, saying they bring back on average about 700 Canadians a year with a bed ready for them. The last thing we want is to arrange for an air evacuation, bring someone back and just leave them at the hospital. But Will McAleer of the Travel Health Insurance Association says the healthcare crisis is making everything worse. Hospitals get busier, it becomes that much more difficult for us to get individuals back home. 
Critical Ontario handles repatriations of patients in life-threatening situations, a number that has dropped from 29 in 2019 to 9 so far this year. The agency tells CTV News they have always been able to find a bed. Carmen Pace was stable in Malta, so didn't qualify for Critical. She's now at a St. Joseph's Hospital ward, which refused to answer any questions about her struggle to get there, even though her family called for transparency. It's a little bit frustrating. He believes other travelers should be warned of the possibility they could be stranded too. John Woodward, CTV News. And you can read more about John's story online. Just head to our website, ctvnewstoronto.ca. And we learned about this story through a viewer. So while you are on our site, and if you have a story idea for CTV News Investigates, please let us know. You can find secure or anonymous ways to get in touch with us on our webpage, or you can simply email investigate at ctv.ca. A troubling new report from the RCMP tonight. It's investigating claims of criminal activity at so-called police stations allegedly set up by China's government. The issue has ties to the GTA and beyond. Here's our Allison Hurst with the story. Three Scarborough and Markham addresses are on a list of so-called police stations said to be organized by the Chinese government. Under this kind of practice, uh, China uh, violated other countries' sovereignty. A Spain-based non-governmental organization outlines at least 54 of them around the world, claiming there are also intimidation tactics being used. The Chinese authorities um, use these kind of uh, overseas service stations to uh, try to get their targets, uh, so-called suspects, uh, to return to China. The addresses are listed on a website registered in China in 2014. One of them in a business plaza, where inside empty teacups and garbage lay on the boardroom table. Another, a family home in Markham. And the third... Are you the owner? A convenience store in Scarborough. We're here because there are allegations that this, this address might be linked with um, a police force operating out of China. Know. I'm sorry? Yeah, I don't know. In a statement, the RCMP says it is investigating reports of criminal activity in relation to the so-called police stations. And it goes on to say it takes threats to the security of individuals living in Canada very seriously and is aware that foreign states may seek to intimidate or harm communities or individuals within Canada. The Consulate General of China, meanwhile, does not deny opening, quote, service stations due to the pandemic. For services such as driver's license renewal, it is necessary to have eyesight, hearing and physical examination. The main purpose of the service station abroad is to provide free assistance to overseas Chinese citizens in this regard. Good afternoon. On the heels of that report, a U.S. judge has unsealed an indictment accusing seven Chinese nationals on behalf of the People's Republic of China of harassment, threats, surveillance and intimidation to coerce a victim to return to China. We also allege that the defendants threatened and harassed the victim's family members, both in the U.S. and in China. The indictment says one of the suspects offered for PRC leadership working on the case to come meet the victim, John Doe 1, in Toronto, Canada. Just ahead, poppies are back in the lead-up to Remembrance Day with a modern twist. How the Royal Canadian Legion is hoping to re-engage Canadians in paying tribute to veterans. 
Toronto is one of the most vibrant, diverse, and interesting cities on the planet. We're a world leader in many areas like business, finance, technology, entertainment, and culture. Each week, Things to Know TO shines a spotlight on a wide variety of local businesses, services, events, and initiatives from across the GTA that are working to make our city even greater. And one of the world's best places to live, work, and play. Join us Saturday mornings for Things to Know TO. A Toronto woman says she camps outside her daughter's school each day, all day, in case her child needs help. The teen lives with a condition that affects her mobility, and her school struggles with accommodation. CTV's Andrew Brennan reports on their story and what they hope can be done. Honey, do you need me right now? You can find Michelle Cousins here every school day, in her van, down the street from her daughter's school. Colette is 14 years old, in grade 9. She has atherogryposis, which affects her mobility. I'm the one who greets her when she gets off the bus. I help her get into the school. I help her take her coat off. I give her a kiss and she goes in. And then I hop back in my van and I find a parking spot. She waits for her daughter to call to use the bathroom. Normally it would be a task for educational assistance, but this cousin says is the best way to ensure her daughter's dignity until the board finds a workaround. She says she tried to flag issues last October before Colette was accepted to Marshall McLuhan in May. Cousin says she was told in June everything would be ready for Colette in the fall, but found out otherwise the day before school started. Grab bars weren't installed. The elevator company didn't come in and inspect the elevator to modify it. And of nine educational assistants at the school, only two, she says, are able to lift her daughter. If there is a fire drill, she says the plan she had to sign off on was leaving Colette in a stairwell. Students with disabilities are treated like an afterthought. An advocate who was on a committee to address accessibility barriers in education says the Ministry of Education has been sitting on recommendations for months. And individual parents from one end of this province to another have to keep fighting those barriers one at a time. Education Minister Stephen Lecce's office says it's consulting currently with the Ministry of Seniors and Accessibility. The Toronto Catholic District School Board says it wouldn't comment on this specific case, but did say the school has an elevator, accessible washroom, and an operable Hoyer lift. Support staff are also available and assigned as needed to assist any student that may require accommodations. Cousins says she disagrees with much of that. Right now, she is searching for a supplier, waiting for new equipment to come, then tested, and then for staff to be trained. We're playing catch-up. Now they're working tirelessly, and I do believe individually they do care. But I just sit there and it's just a mess. Cousin says she and Colette picked the school in part because of the environment, the programming, as well as the administration and staff. But she says that she expects to be waiting outside of the school in her van just in case her daughter needs her, at least until Christmas, for the resources that she says are needed for her daughter to attend school independently. Andrew Brennan, CTV News. I think just the respect factor that I have for the players and how I treat them is, has been the most important thing and, or the best thing that I do. The World Series begins tonight in Houston, and for the first time, a Canadian-born bench boss is taking a team to the Fall Classic. Philadelphia Phillies manager Rob Thompson's from Sarnia. He took over the team June 3rd and helped turn a losing team into winners. The Phillies are in the playoffs for the first time since 2011 while the Astros are playing for a title for the fourth time in six years.
And finally, a look at an annual tradition underway in Toronto tonight. The poppy campaign meant as a time to remember and honor Canada's veterans. As our Janice Golding explains, this year is about bridging generations through reflection and technology. They may be many decades apart, the very young and the very old, but Canadians all, they joined together to remember a shared history. In 1942, I was a junior clerk in the traffic department of the TTC. I turned 18 in January 1942 and signed on with Royal Canadian Air Force as a pilot observer. Today, Canadian veterans and students from Davisville Public School launched the Toronto Royal Canadian Legion's annual TTC poppy campaign. Our red poppy is a symbol of both remembrance, hope for a peaceful future. Poppies are worn as a show of support for the veterans that have served and those that are still serving. Veterans reminding Toronto residents to wear a poppy in honour of the men and women who served our country. I had friends, I lost friends, and um, you had to serve your country. Uh, there were bad people out there, and the war was a rough time, but you had to serve your country. The response was amazing. And, of course, we remember the ones who didn't come home, especially. A recognition of their bravery and patriotism, as well as the emotions of those who stayed behind. Don't forget the people that were left behind, that they had to, had to carry on their lives by themselves until we came back. A new initiative this year, people can visit poppystories.ca to scan their poppies with their smartphones to read short stories about Canadian veterans who died serving our country. The poppies, are, to me, are very, very important. And it gives a little bit of money to the Legion, and I think uh, I, I enjoy selling them. Also new today, the Royal Canadian Legion will be phasing in biodegradable poppies and wreaths to reduce their environmental footprint. The annual poppy campaign runs from today through to November 11th, Remembrance Day. Janice Golding, CTV News. Okay, let's check in on Lindsay C. How you doing amid that fright fest? Yeah, it's getting spookier by the minute here, Nathan and Michelle. The sun has set. It is dark, but it looks amazing here at Thornhill Woods Haunted House. Come on out and enjoy if you can and support sick kids while you're at it. Just want to share a couple of Halloween photos that have come in from our viewers. Uh, it's been a wonderful week of photos. I'm so happy to be sharing these. Look at Sherry's photo. Look at Bonnie the Bee. What a cute dog there. Uh, a big thank you to Tyler. Look at this. This looks like a, a wonderful way to spend Halloween. What a great costume. And there's Annabella and the whole family getting into the spirit of things. We have had a wonderful time here at Thornhill Woods Haunted House. Happy Halloween, everyone. I'll send it back to you, Nathan and Michelle. Thank you, Lindsay. Loved it all. Appreciate it. And be sure to join uh, Emery Medawake tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our Lex Noke next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. Lindsay Morrison and all of us here at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a great night.